Welcome to another edition of Cybersecurity Dispatch. This is your host, Ashwin Krishnan. In this episode, from one CISO to another, get back to the basics, we talk with Jaya Balu, the CISO of KPN, the incumbent service provider in the Netherlands, about how the 2012 hack galvanized the company to action and her advice to fellow CISOs to get back to the basics of security awareness, visibility and risk monitoring, and finally, security capabilities assessments. Welcome everybody to another edition of Cybersecurity Dispatch. Uh, as previous listeners know, this is a podcast series where we bring in essentially name makers as well as movers and shakers in the security space who are actually taking security to a new level and looking for ways to not just check the box for compliance purposes, but really embrace security and privacy in this new age. So with that, I have uh, the pleasure of extending today's host to you as the host i want to talk about who we have on the panel today we have jaya balu who's the ciso of kpn who's one of the leading telecom vendors based out of netherlands but they have footprints uh, worldwide i believe so without further ado i'm going to hand it over to jaya to introduce herself and then we can get going hi there yep my name is jaya balu and i'm the chief information security officer of kpn since 2012 so for the last Six years, and I like to joke that I'm one of the longest-standing CISOs around. But that's yeah. Yeah, that, that's an interesting comment that you made because yeah, yeah the uh, joke slash uh, I guess part reality is CISOs average tenure somewhere between eighteen months to two years. So you've clearly broken ground in terms of extending that averages way past the <laughs> way past what's typical. <laughs> but that's actually leads to a really interesting question: is back in 2012. APN actually came in under under attack and you in what looks like history right now but clearly that must have shaken up how KPN looks at security and privacy so maybe you can use that as an example to say okay so what happened over there and what did what were some of the learnings that you had from that as KPN and how does how is that translated into today's view of security and privacy as uh, KPN sees it well, so maybe to kind of do a refresh over what exactly the KPN hack was, it was a couple of things. So first and foremost, there was a kid actually who was 15 years old at the time who hacked KPN by finding one vulnerability that was unpatched on the external perimeter and then used that vulnerability basically to have lateral movement across the network and pivot from one vulnerability to the next vulnerability and hop through. Eventually, he managed to get about 300 different vulnerable systems, which were all underneath his control at the at the time of the hack. Luckily for KPN, he didn't really want to do anything else except kind of gain control and establish presence on each of these systems. Had he wanted to do something destructive, you know, it would be a very different situation today for the company. And the CEO of the company, Ilk Bluck, uh, then CEO, actually said, you know, it goes too far to thank the hacker, but he actually did open our eyes to how bad the information security operationally was, and it gave them enough information to actually start improving. Wow. So this is actually a benign hacker who did some good to, without actually using, using the land and expand that he did inside. So from, from a KPN's perspective, this is, this is what you would want to be the kind of attack, if any, that any organization is yeah. subject to. This is what you would want, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, to be fair, like the impact of it was because KPN is always under regulatory uh, supervision as, a, you know, all telecom operators around the world, but our regulator found didn't find it so benign. 
So the fact that it could take place still meant that there was regulatory issues that we had with our duty of care and making inspecting you know, how good we were filling in the duty of care. So it became clear that as part of the license to operate, information security absolutely had to be higher on the agenda and better in terms of operational capability. So that, that was very good. So it wasn't completely benign to put it fairly. No, so actually that, that leads into a really interesting question, which is, so once this happened, and like you're saying, clearly the regulatory authorities took it seriously, and obviously things were put in place to make sure that such things don't happen in the future. But also, does has that led to a much higher bar in terms of how KPN looks at security and data privacy in general? And if so, what keeps you up at night and making sure that people don't get complacent and, and go back to the way they were doing stuff? And well, I mean, how do you keep the fire burning, if you will? of ensuring that this level of transparency as well as uh, heightened awareness uh, continues to persist? So I I talk about this quite a bit because I think in general, in information security, we tend to do something which I call riding the security roller coaster. What you do is you have an incident like we had in 2012. It's pretty bleak. And what happens to the information security team is they start riding the roller coaster up. You know, suddenly there's no end to the amount of budget they have. They can hire people. They can start programs that are company-wide. They do all kinds of awareness training. And there's a very clear ascendancy of that information security position. And then what happens is at a certain point in time, they lose the board attention. The company realizes what a pain in the ass it is to actually get security (laughs) operationally uh, equipped so that it actually can work. So that becomes a real issue. And then after that, then they also figure out, okay, well, it's not just a matter of getting a couple of things right. There's actually a consistent program that needs to be followed up. So the sexiness wears away and we start riding the roller coaster back down. The board has focused their attention on some other issue. And we're just basically waiting for the next incident so that we can all collectively ride the roller coaster back up again. I think that's a really stupid focus. So in order to get out of that, we need to understand that there needs to be a continuous focus on information security that isn't propelled by the next incident, which means that I think that there should be a pragmatic way of looking at this and continuously understanding on what is the sense of urgency. Not that there necessarily is one, but just understanding how good are we or aren't we. So for me, that's all about managing vulnerabilities and incidents. And it sounds pretty short term, but I think it says a lot about our maturity. So imagine, you know, we all know that it's Patch Tuesday and depending on the organization, they may or may not see the amount of patches that are coming out. And depending on their agility of their IT organization are rolling it out in, you know, 24 hours or two weeks or, you know, 20 weeks, depending on how clued in they are and what the sense of urgency is to kind of roll it out. So I really want to focus on, okay, that's from a from an IT-based thinking, like if there's a patch, you put it in for functionality. But if we really look from a security perspective and we really see are we vulnerable or not, how long does it take us to remediate? Yeah. And the same thing for incidents. The longer we keep an incident, a security incident open and running, the longer we know that there are still potentially things wrong. You know, there's the known knowns and there's also the known unknowns and then there's the unknown unknowns. So all of those things are present during the security incident phase. And I would rather that we understand exactly what we're dealing with as much as possible and then be able to close down incidents. By doing that, for both vulnerabilities and incidents, we reduce the window of opportunity there is for a potential hack to take place. And that's all I care about is our state of readiness at any given time. 
Yeah, and, and this is this is really refreshing to hear the CISO at, at your level talk about this roller coaster because usually it's it's really about like you're saying, hey, let, let's ride the wave, let's get past this, and then brace yourself for an, for another day. But the, the other interesting question about this is, I, I know as a CISO, this this is what you live and breathe every single day. But if if you're talking to lines of businesses, if you're talking to marketing, if you're talking to uh, customer service, uh, they have different objectives and they have different targets Absolutely. that they have to meet, right? Yeah. So how do, how, how do you make sure security becomes something that is embedded in all of these different organizations who have uh, s- s- seemingly different charters? Yeah, so I think, you know, there's a couple of ways to do this. So first of all, I need to tell you about our mission, which is to keep KPN reliable, security, and trusted, but for customers, partners, and society. So I think, oh, you know, okay. fundamentally marketing or finance or whoever we're kind of doing it for the same end goal. Right. And I think as long as we can align those end goals of like, who are we really working for? And why are we really doing this? So fundamentally, marketing also doesn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to cause a security incident. What they do is say, I would rather bypass a pen test and to get this thing live because of other things that usually don't relate to having a secure and comfortable customer experience. Yep. You know, there's other motivation to do that. It's either ignorance or inability to plan or, and this is all very negative marketing. I understand that I'm saying now that they're ignorant and don't plan stuff. And that's not what I mean to say, but I'm saying that those are the things that wind up happening. Correct. So because they didn't take into account the amount of time a pen test would occur, would take, or the time that the remediation would have to be then placed on all of the findings, or that they would still have blocking findings where they couldn't go live and they hate us for it forever. I mean, those things are really like things, if you build them in and they're not a surprise at the end of your development game. Correct. Because that's what winds up happening usually. So if that's not the case, then usually they're absolutely a partner instead of someone who's moaning about security being a pain. So think no, about I, how you couch it. Correct. And then you you, you made a really interesting uh, comment or it's a value statement over there for, in terms of who your target is. It's customers, partners, and society. I and mean, that's very powerful, right? I mean, that, that permeates mm-hmm. much beyond saying, hey, well, how much customer data do we have? Do we encrypt it or not? This is a much larger mission saying, hey, we have we have an obligation not just to our organization, but to the society at large, as well as our customers and yeah. partners. So I think that that's that's very impressive. Yeah. So switching gears well, a little yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just wanted to say, you know, I think an operator uh, and an ISP, they they have different goals, but fundamentally, they're also charged with making sure that the 911 service is available when when people need it. And for KPN specifically as an incumbent telecom operator, I mean, planes don't take off at the airport without our network. Oil rigs offshore don't operate without our network. Emergency services, if it's even, you know, if we have one missed call, it could mean that someone died. So it becomes a very different game for why you do security, you know, our sense of purpose is extremely strong. That, that's really interesting to hear because you don't hear many, very many companies talk about the impact of security when it comes to saving lives or, or ensuring businesses stay afloat. So just talking about KPN as it relates to providing services to enterprises, uh, what, in your mind, have you seen a, a similar awareness or uh, importance that enterprises are starting to assign to security and privacy in general, or are they also riding the same roller coaster? And if so, how does a KPN as a service provider go and educate these customers so that what you offer, and I looked at your impressive set of uh, security offerings that you have, how does that manifest itself into actual buying patterns when it comes to enterprises who may be clueless or who may be riding the same roller coaster analogy that you had? 
Well, I don't think it's always shared. I think it depends on the size of the enterprise, by the way, rather than necessarily what type of business they're in. Mm -hmm. So what you'll see is within the same sector of company, a large enterprise somehow feels more keenly the edge of the sword of security than a medium or small enterprise in the same sector. Yep. So if we're looking at transport or banking or or healthcare or whatever, you'll see that it really is a size issue and its size does matter. And sometimes it's good with certain companies. It's much easier to explain both the need to do, you know, a patching of some generic services, you know, windows, and that that needs to happen really quickly to lower their, their own um, exposure. But it doesn't always work so well when it really is a is a company that can't have any downtime under any circumstances and doesn't always speak the language of security. And, and that tends to be a problem. And yeah. by the way, like as for the commercial buying, you know, I think you don't have to buy our services ever if you just have the basics in order because that's all really information security should ever be. Hmm. Um, and I find that very often companies are not always capable of fixing those basics. So allowing us to provide clean services connect for connectivity would already be great, you know, to fix the things that we already see. And if those things aren't accomplishable, I think adding on a layer of security to assuage some sort of risk scenario, that that's not very smart. If you can't get the basics right, there's no point in trying to pay off your conscience by adding a security service on top. So I must say, this is the first time I'm hearing a service provider actually talk about, hey, if you can get your basics right, you don't need us. But since you can't get your basics right, typically, that's where we come in. I mean, that's that's a very important distinction versus trying to sell the next intrusion deception or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we tend to do is we tend to kind of throw oil on the fire by adding a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You don't know what you have. So isn't it better to just do all of this stuff? But no, it isn't. If you don't know what you have, maybe we should first figure that out, you know, before we sell you all these things on top of it. And I, I honestly think that if an organization doesn't have vulnerability and management in place, and they suddenly start buying like threat detection and APT detection platforms, then they're swimming completely in the wrong stream. And they're trying to look cool, but seriously, they have, you know, massive incontinence problems. So if you can't take control of your stuff, literally, then it's pointless trying to, you know, dress up, dress it up nicely. Okay, so I'm still stuck at massive incontinence problems. I need to remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So let me ask you this. I mean, you see your shared vision about hey get the basics right and you need you need to make sure that if you don't like you're saying patch management basic vulnerability management you're going to be exposed is is that something that's shared across other service providers or is kpn kind of leading a no i think yeah no i think no i think our tendency our appetite tends to run towards short term both in terms of fixes and revenue priorities and long term I think we have a history of that. And I also think that for some reason, it's easier for not only companies to sell that, but for customers to buy it. Yep. It looks it looks a lot better. It feels a lot easier to just add another platform that gives you meaningless information and how small also that aggregate it is rather than doing the really difficult, hard, almost monks work, you know, uh, yep. to kind of inventorize everything you've got, all your assets understand it well, understand what the exposure is, understand the difference between functional patching and security patching, and understand when and how to apply. And, you know, things like risk acceptance for me are evil. I don't believe that 
people who have no understanding of, of security or of their risk should be able to do that ever. But you see that, that we have a culture of that. You have an IT manager that says, I will accept the risk, you know, where if they cannot understand it, probably it's way above their procuration uh, budget. Like yeah, if yeah. they have a budget of 8 million and the risk is 25 million, how on earth are they ever allowed to accept that? Correct. So usually they can't quantify their risk, so they should never be in place to, to write that off. And we see that happening all the time. So I've actually like said in KPN that no unit or business unit or business manager is ever allowed to accept the risk first and foremost because they they are also not able to quantify it always so as a result of which only the CISO team is allowed to talk about what the risk mitigation and risk acceptance strategies are and if we think that there's no mitigation strategy possible uh, it has to be escalated to the board of management so you know it's either our way or you have to kind of escalate beyond us to the CEO wow and again that that I believe is is very atypical of many enterprises or service providers. Right? What you're talking about over here is really empowerment that the CISO and your team has, but basically also to talk about risk quantification and mitigation, which is uh, something that, as you, as you said, it's very hard to put your finger on it and therefore you need to have the expertise. Yeah. So, so to, actually, it's not that hard. It starts by doing really dumb, simple things. To be very honest with you, there's no like great science. What we did, we just wanted to be able to have a conversation with the business about how to quantify that risk because I don't believe that we can do it on our own without any business knowledge and the business can't do, do it on their own mm-hmm. without any security knowledge. So in order to start that dialogue, we actually made a really simple, kind of dumb tool and we made it open source so and we also put all of our security policies and our beliefs we made that open source too and it's all free and there's no information collection nothing it's just a static kind of simple tool and we're also bringing out a new version of it but it's called um, the KPN CISO app okay. and it's in the app store and it's on github by the way I recommend the github version if you don't have an iPad but if you have an iPad you can get the app we're coming out with a brand new version but it's being pen tested now it's already been developed We've also redone our policies and everything. But anyway, it's free. If you guys feel like it, just Google for it on GitHub or the iPad store. Very cool. I want to kind of wrap it up by asking you, mm-hmm. uh, given that this is the start of arguably one of the most important yeah. security conferences in the, on the planet, is what advice would you have to uh, fellow CISOs, number one, and what advice would you have to vendors uh, peddling their products? Well, again, I guess the CISOs is to be careful to kind of window dress with snake oil, you know, and I think like, because there's such pressure to keep on top of the newest threats that we feel kind of bullied, like, oh, you don't have this tool. It feels like there's a sort of peer pressure to kind of buy all the things. I I really think that, again, asset and inventory management, understanding of business risks, and appropriate and rapid response to both vulnerabilities and incidents, that's it. Security awareness, uh, visibility and risk and tell, and security capability. If we can do those three things really, really well, we don't need all the other stuff. Very cool. And, and what do you say to vendors who are looking for the next big exit and, and trying to outdo the competition with all the marketing uh, lingo jingo? Don't call me. I'll call you. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, this has been extremely entertaining, valuable, as well as insightful. So I thank you for your time. Our listeners would feel the same as well. And again, a big thanks to you for taking the time. I know we've had uh, some scheduling challenges getting this online, but finally we did. So I'm really glad that uh, we had this great conversation. Thanks for your time, Jan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.